Welcome to the First Intuition Podcast. For this episode, we were joined by Javid and Andy to mark Mental Health Awareness Week. We answer student questions and discuss mental well-being at work and in study. The session was recorded in front of a live Zoom audience. I've put a link for future shows in the show notes. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the First Intuition Forum and Student Podcast. My name is Ben Bullman. I'm a tutor and director at First Intuition. I'm not joined by my good friend and colleague, David Malthouse, tonight. Dave has been invited to speak on a panel at Accountex, a very prestigious accounting um, conference. So he's been there all afternoon and was fearful that travel wouldn't allow him to get back in time. So it's me. But I have got a couple of guests joining me this evening. I'm going to introduce them in a moment and give them a chance to share their own background and give you a bit of a, a flavour of, of why they are here. But this evening's podcast is dedicated to mental health awareness. It's Mental Health Awareness Week that we're recording this. I've actually been out to an employer and saw 20 students in a, in a room at lunchtime today for a conference, had a chat with them, and they were all dressed in really relaxed clothing. When I turned up, if you've ever had this moment in your life when you turn up at a business and I was massively overdressed and I thought I've completely misjudged it. And I'm sure I've been to this employer before. And last time I came here, people were in more standard business dress. And then the, the lovely training manager lady took me down to the, the conference room where I was going to be speaking to the students and said, oh, it's Mental Health Awareness Week. And I said, oh, it certainly is. I'm speaking at the student podcast tonight around that topic. And she said, yeah, what we've done today, just to kind of make people aware that it's happening, is to come in in whatever we wanted to wear. So she was in a lovely striped jumper and made me feel a bit happier that I hadn't misjudged it um, because I was then going on for another meeting where they were all suited and booted. So I got that one right. OK, so it's Mental Health Awareness Week. We thought we would dedicate the forum and the podcast to it. I've had a few students email me with some questions. So we'll raise those. We are recording in front of a live audience of students as well. So some people are logged in this evening live. Guys, as we're going through, if you've got a question you would like me to raise with the panel, I'm more than happy to keep an eye on the chat box live. As I say, I have got some questions that were sent in to me in advance. But I'm now going to hand over and give a chance to our two guests this evening to introduce themselves. So I'm going to start with um, our good friend and colleague, Andy Bunkle. Andy Hello. works up in our, our Leeds office. Andy, I don't know if you wanted to share with the listeners a bit of your background and, and why particularly you wanted to join the forum tonight for Mental Health Awareness. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Ben. So I, I work at um, FI up in Leeds. I work in a kind of like a sales and client client facing role um i think the main reason i've been involved um in uh, been asked to be involved in this session is that i have kind of done a few videos and kind of shared my story um about my own mental health in the past um so i was always more than happy to kind of get involved um i think one of the things i'm sure that we'll talk about later on is uh, the stigma around mental health and um and people's reluctance to kind of talk about it um, and how that can be um, quite self-defeating and can make things even worse. Uh, and so I'm, um, I'm, I'm generally one of those kind of people that will normally um, tell you everything about myself. You know, with it, so I, I don't, I'm not very good. But never tell me any secrets because uh, they won't stay with me very long. But um, so I'm, I'm always very open, um, and um, the, that openness has really helped uh, with my own kind of uh, uh, struggles with mental health. Um, I think uh, what I'll do, Javid, is I'll just do a very quick run through. Um, I have probably suffered. Um, well, suffered with my mental health noticeably, um, probably for about four or five years. Um, but obviously, as you start to unpeel things and look at things, then you realise that actually it's been an ongoing issue for, for quite a while. Um, mental health is the same as any other health. You know, it's the same as, um, you know, um, your kind of physical health and, and that kind of thing. It, it can go up and down. Um, but about probably four or five years ago, I was going through a really tough time with the job that I was in. Um, I decided to get another job that I thought would solve the whole problem. Um, and to cut a very long story short, there was a lot of homeworking involved in it. Um, ironically, with the pandemic, we're all used to that now, but it was, was very different because you, you did feel very isolated. Um, and then I was um, driving a lot to Sheffield to this new role, um, and it was all just very disorganized, and it all became um, a little bit too much for me. Um, I was 
probably probably one of the most stressful times of having young children as well, um, which was a wonderful experience, but a lot of responsibility with that. So I found myself really, really struggling. Um, my emotions were up and down. Looking back, I wasn't being very nice to myself or people, people around me. Um, and so I decided to do something about it finally and um through a, a a mix of medication which i'm still on today uh, which i found really really helpful it's not the answer for everybody but um I'm, i'll happily go into more detail about that later if if need be but i i've found it useful and i've been on it for probably three or four years now um, and then a combination of um, talking uh, and counseling um so although i didn't feel comfortable approaching my employer because uh, at the time that they were part, a big part of the problem um uh, i mentioned to javed actually um of, of all places i was just nipping to the loo in the gents and uh, there was a big poster from this company um saying uh, these are all the things that are included in your medical um your private medical um uh, work medical scheme uh, and counseling and cbt was was part of it so i had um eight sessions of um of cognitive behavioral therapy so the idea of um, somebody really listening to you but there were she did interjects and and it was just really useful to have a third party to um to really just kind of pour out um a lot of the experiences from childhood and um bits and pieces of that have gone on through my life and just have somebody who was disconnected to it to actually um reinforce that some of the things that i thought maybe that wasn't okay when that happened to actually say well no that and, and actually get me to kind of explore how i felt about it and everything so that's been really useful and um doing a lot of reading um and just trying to um we talked about meditation i'm sure javed will talk about meditation um later on um i actually really struggled to meditate one of my issues is i've got a massive ringing in my ears that i've had since i was about 19 20 from too much loud music so um i i tend to read and try and actually take my mind away to somewhere else but i can't shut all my thoughts off completely so um but that's a little kind of overview of of of, um, of my kind of what, what's happened with me thank you andy lots there that i'm sure we can go back into yeah great to hear you're, you're here to share your own experiences but also try and reflect on other people's questions we've had a few yeah. questions come through in advance from students i think important to hear your talking around workplace issues yeah. as well as home life issues and those all kind of coming together in yeah. quite a, an unpleasant situation i'm sure at the time yeah probably the most important thing i heard you say was that it took a while for you to kind of react to it and i think that's something mm. that, that we see a lot isn't it people don't quite know at yeah. what stage they're at or maybe don't even spot the signs particularly yeah. not early enough so yeah. um, I'm sure we'll get into that as we go through, yeah. but I'm going to introduce our second guest this evening. So you mentioned him a couple of times, but I'm delighted we're joined this evening by Javid Bobet. Javid, hello. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. So I've, I've got a bit of a bio of you, but I'm going to hand over for you to explain to our listeners and the live students on the forum this evening. What, what's your kind of background and, and what are you bringing to the forum this evening? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, thanks for sort of having me on sort of this evening. So I'm I've got two sort of companies that I'm the founder of. So the first one, which isn't the important one for this particular session, but I've got an ethical recruitment company that combines finance recruitment and mental health. And I've also then set up a nonprofit called F Mental Health, which is I use the profits that I generate from the recruitment company to then run that nonprofit, and that is to raise mental health awareness within the accountancy and finance profession. So anyone working within the profession at any level, whether you're working within practice or industry, um, it's a wellbeing hub. Um, and on the back of that, there's a lot of sort of content signposting on there. I personally deliver mental health first aid training as well. So I've trained to become a mental health first aid instructor and then using probably a third of my time each week to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with individuals within finance who are struggling, uh, line managers who may need a sounding board for, uh, from a workplace point of view, as well as HR talent teams, et cetera. Um, and then on the back of that, I do then part and fully subsidize events, um, obviously being invited to, to speak at events like this. And there was one this morning with First Intuition. So anywhere where I feel that I can sort of bring my sort of passion and interest around 
mental health and well-being in particular is something that um that I'm always sort of delighted and humbled to be uh you know to be part of so I guess they're the two sort of uh companies now and I guess the history in terms of how I went about setting it up and I'll start with what happened a few years ago and then take it further back before bringing it forward again so um I've been a finance recruiter for now approaching 20 years and I guess if you wanted a poster boy or poster person of someone who despite all the success on every metric whether it's status position level in a company financially um friends unit social circle um wife sort of reaching out a child almost on the as an outsider looking in has got everything but inside increasingly as years went on was feeling increasingly conflicted and empty and gray and you know it was struggling to understand what was sort of going on especially in the height of when I was really successful in the previous decade and it built up over years and years and years up to the point where um it was probably four years ago now that I started to this process of having a you know almost like a, a mental breakdown and then it called in having to leave my previous work and I had to leave prematurely and you know if unfortunately it was because they weren't in a position to want to support me with my mental health and well-being so you know it was gutting at the time especially when you think oh this is a company I've given my all for and I've put my heart and soul into it and yes I've benefited from it but there's a lot of people within my team and the company have benefited but you know I've grown to sort of accept in the last few years that ultimately they you know they didn't have the tools and the knowledge and how to deal with the fact that I was really struggling so um so yeah I had a breakdown and you know it was a combination sort of anxiety depression um and then suicide ideation which is different to actually feeling suicidal um and it's having lots of suicidal thoughts that are really persistent and 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 really sort of all-consuming but it did move from suicide ideation to actually feeling suicidal and there's a post that I've done on LinkedIn a few months ago where, you know, I've shared the fact that I had to hand some pills over to my wife. Sort of this is approaching four years ago in June, July time, where I felt that I was in serious danger of actually it becoming ideation to something of a reality. So, yeah, I think everything sort of came to a head. I then had to sort of take time out and, you know, um, for the best part of 12, 18 months to reflect and see what I wanted to do in terms of, you know my own sort of life both you know work and outside of work um and then looking at the things obviously I'm a, a finance recruiter and I've always really loved recruitment but I was finding over the years that as I got to know people that I used to work with whether they were looking for a job or a client that I just had that demeanor where I was approachable and they'd share things and obviously then I started reflecting on that and doing a bit more sort of research and then started looking at anecdotal evidence on ICAW, ACCA, SEMA, um other job boards uh CARBA the Chartered Accounts Benevolent Association and the anecdotal evidence was quite alarming to see that when you look at stress and anxiety burnout absentees and presenteeism that finance as a function of any business whether you're in practice or industry is the most pressurized and every time you see these statistics that the finance function or people working in finance it's five or ten fifteen percentage points higher than another functional area and I think that's the design of recognizing that especially in the last sort of 10 to 15 years that the finance function has become the heartbeat of every organization so um, and with that comes with increased demands and expectations and you know we're not even begun to talk about the the impact of social society and the world that we live in and that impact on our mental health and well-being so I think you start bringing that together or both those things together I think you there's a melting pot and I know there's a Deloitte report pre-pandemic where some of the numbers were very alarming on the mental health challenges within finance dare I say that was pre-COVID we can pretty much be sure that the post-COVID world that it is a lot more pronounced as well so I think it was a case of how can I do something that's purpose-driven and you know things that I'm passionate about so you know Andy and I started speaking probably about 18 months or so ago. So I've got blogs on my website where people share their personal stories and, you know, a lot of them do have a mental focus and Andy was kind enough to, to share that. And I'm sure Andy won't mind 
that link being shared out to um, yeah. to anyone as, as part of the um, follow-up materials to this. So, so yeah, getting others to write about it and just really being almost every conversation I have now has a mental health well-being question in there somewhere. Um, so, and, and it's something that's given me a lot of satisfaction to know that I can use my own lived experience, but also there's a sector here that needs it. And how can I do good through, um, you know, through setting up a business where I recruit in my own way with a unique model that combines mental health and recruitment, but I've then got a non-profit to, uh, to go with it. So, and yeah, just to, as a surmise, I've suffered from anxiety and low mood, which has then moved into depression for pretty much all my adult life. I don't think I can remember a time, you know, or a period of time anyway, where I've been free from sort of mental health. The anxiety is pretty much common. My default setting is low mood and, you know, obviously working through things that, you know, and I'm still doing at the moment. So I've just finished a round of counselling. Um, I'm going to be starting a round of sort of mild hypnotherapy to work on some things from a subconscious point of view. Um, and really, it's only now that I'm, before I was either in denial or wanted to self-solve and be very stubborn and not share, whereas now, in the last 12, 18 months, I'm a lot more open about sharing and sharing my story, but also exploring about how can I become a better version of of, of me, but also then support individuals who approach me week in, week out, and in the very first conversation, decide to share a lot than, than you know, bear in mind, I'd never spoken to them before. So you know, for me to help individuals as well as continue my own journey, which I think is going to be continuous, is something that I'm really passionate about. Well, well thank you so much for setting the scene, Javid. Loads there that was popping into my mind to say, I must remember to go back and ask this and ask that. I think my first observation, and you used the word melting pot, I think the students that we deal with are in quite a unique position. They are working in the world of finance, and you've just alluded to that being a very stressful and uh, 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 area of the, the kind of career that really flags up and highlights the potential for issues. I think we'll, we'll explore that a bit more in a moment. Something that you and Andy have said, you've both alluded to being with employers that maybe weren't as on board with mental health awareness or support or the, the kind of broader implications of that so we can we can pick up on that certainly I really like the sound of your website and blog I can see Andy's put it in the chat box this evening for the live students I'll make sure it's put into the show notes so podcast listeners you can find the link in the show notes to Javid's website you can go and see some of the the blogs that are on there because I think something that I've really noticed in recent years much more willingness for people to talk about it and, and surely that's a good thing for all of us so uh, a thank you again for both you and Andy for coming on tonight to talk about your own personal um, history and mental health but also to hopefully try and give some words of encouragement support awareness to our listeners so we got a few questions in advance I've also seen a few pop up to the chat box tonight we can use those to try and hopefully put a bit of structure to our discussion. So before we get on to talk about work and career and the role that has to play in your mental health, I'm a designated safeguarding lead for First Intuition. So I get lots of referrals on student well-being and student welfare. And I did some analysis, um, not for this podcast, but it's interesting to kind of allude to it here. I did it for our governors. We had a governors meeting a couple of weeks back. And it was quite interesting to see the, the referrals and the topics that are referred to us as a safeguarding team. And the biggest was stress and anxiety around examinations. And clearly the world we live in is exam-based training. Exams come with a level of stress. But the first thing I'd just like to explore is your experiences, Javid. You've obviously spoken to people working in accountancy, finance, looking for jobs. Have they alluded to any stresses around the exams or potentially the, the kind of feeling that they need to pass exams? And if I'm not passing exams, I'm not making movements in my career. Yeah, most definitely. And I guess... The exam pressure, whether you're studying AAT, ACA, SEMA, ACCA, that those pressures have always been there. I think historically you, you look at an employer and and let's say if it's a typical training contract, 
um, history suggests that there were, you know, a lot of firms were actually quite strict on their sort of uh, on their criteria, you know, almost like one strike and you're out. Now, that was quite commonplace over the years. My understanding is that now that there are some firms that are being are relaxing that that little bit more, and I think that does help. But I think the challenge that anyone coming into the profession and then is studying to be unqualified is you go to your, well, it'd be more virtual these days, but, you know, you go to your workshops and, you know, uh, your studies and, you know, with fellow peers, if you're working within a larger company or firm or team, then there's others on graduate schemes. And there's just this element of keeping up with Mr. and Mrs. Jones, you know, uh, or Miss Jones around you. And I think that can also sort of fuel more sort of anxiety than, uh, you know, than it should. And I think that the big thing when I speak to individuals is you really need to sort of not think about others. And it's about your journey. And, you know, just because someone may qualify in a three to four year time period, you may want longer for a host of reasons. You've got outside of work interests or you just want to take it at a slower pace. When you qualify won't matter. You know, I've, I've spoken to people who took years and years to qualify and, and put it on pause and then qualified and they've got a 15 year finance career. And I say to them, no one's ever going to ask what year you qualified. So, you know, you, you have to just understand that, you know, don't do things just, you know, and then overextend yourself. Yeah. And if your circumstances, whatever they are in and out of work, mean that, you know, you have to go at a certain pace, then that's absolutely fine. Um, and not see the pressure of, oh, I must get first time passes or I must qualify in three, four years. Otherwise, I, I'm not going to be seen as, you know, a, a top quartile talent because ultimately your performance in your job will dictate that, um, you know, some people qualify, but then don't have a lot of the, the right experience to boot or haven't been in that right environment to, you know, to be really sort of stretched. So the qualification doesn't mean as much. So I think just focusing on being with the right employer and the right team that's giving you the actual practical side and, and the developmental side, not just being too obsessed about qualification. Really interesting to consider the anxiety around exams quite often comes from the, the fear of what other people will think. Actually, we hear that a lot. Students who fail exams and let's let's face it, failing exams is, is part of life. But actually themselves can come to terms with that. It's the fear before sitting the exam, usually. Well, what are work going to think if I fail the exam? And it's probably a position in someone's life that up until now, yeah, you've, you've sat other exams. But this is the first time you've had to kind of go back to an employer that's sponsoring you, supporting you to do it. And that does add a whole nother level of pressure and anxiety. Andy, have you got any reflections on exams? You, you've worked in the, the training industry <laughs> a while now, dealt with lots I, of different students. I remember the days in 2008, I think I started dealing with uh, professional accountancy qualifications. I remember the, the days of ICW students crying in the toilets um, because of the, just that, that exact that, that, that pressure that was on them. Um, I, 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 probably more of a general point, really, and, and, and it's, it's in one of the notes that I had at the very outset, of this session is a lot of stress and anxiety is really the 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 difference between the expectation versus the actual reality um and you can actually strip it down to just that very simple concept really and um that doesn't mean that you should just completely lower your expectations and never succeed in anything you know you you, you do need to, if you want to succeed in something then you do set those expectations high but um quite often particularly in professional exams you see the expectation either of work or of yourself or com compared to other people around you, um, doesn't actually, um, if that never can live up to the reality of how much time you've got to commit to your studies, all the other things um, going around you, that's when things start to kind of fall apart and and, and break. And we we talked uh, earlier, didn't we, Javed, on, um, about kind of this idea of, kind of trying to compartmentalise things. And I think whether it's your, because um, there's a question um, about what advice to give an employer, you know, about supporting employees, I think, um, everyone's different and some people are really really good at being able to kind of just just go with it and kind of just you know kind of juggle a few things but uh, everybody's got a certain limit as to how much they can deal with and, and I think you know this idea of just trying to uh, often when things go wrong is when you're just trying to juggle way too much or you've left things too late um, and it's really really difficult to try and have the discipline to say well okay 
what is the worst that could happen? You know, it, maybe I fail this exam. Maybe I actually need to just push it back uh, because I, there's absolutely no way that I can actually sit this exam. Maybe I just need to just readjust and actually just put a few other things off and really focus on it and and, and push it. So I think um, and the the best way to do that is talk to people, talk to your work, talk to your tutor, talk to, you know, so that you can actually um, not put too much pressure on yourself. Thanks, Andy. And I think this different compartments of your life all merging mm. together we'll pick up in a moment but before we do I'm just going to go to our first question from a student so we're going to keep these all confidential we said we would and we certainly will always uphold full confidentiality when things are raised so the first one this was a student in the situation that they've been formally diagnosed with a mental health condition well I think that's not nice but it's good that they've taken the steps to get that formal diagnosis but part of their treatment includes medication, which does have some side effects. Lapses in concentration and shaking hands are mentioned in the email I've received. They are worried about informing their exam centre. They believe that jeopardises their ability to complete the exam to the level they should be able to do in the time. And so would like to explore the ability to get extra time in the exams. Um, something I've certainly supported and I know First Intuition have been big advocates supporting students to go to their exam centres, go to the awarding bodies and get extra time. Andy, I don't know if you've got any um, uh, views on that from, from your student contact up in Yorkshire. It would be it would be one to go to the institute with the for the, for the exam that you're sitting at. I would be um, amazed that any of the institutes are not completely um switched on to this and understanding and educated as to how those different um you know kind of constraints and 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 pressures on on and and uh, how that can impact people's ability to um to to do things in a certain amount of time allocated it should be confidential it should be between you and the institute and then that institute should allocate if it's if it's appropriate if they've looked into it they should allocate that time um so i, I if you feel comfortable to do so i would recommend that you that you yeah get in touch with them yeah, and I think upholding confidentiality is, is quite an important aspect there. Javid, have you got any experiences of people being reluctant to come forward with things for fear that it will be talked about, gossiped in the office potentially? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously, can't speak for the institutes, but I think definitely the employer-employee relationship, there's the reason why, I mean, Andy's mentioned it, even I've mentioned it, you know, that we've, and even people that I speak to that are reluctant to go to their employers, you know that fear about oh, is there that right culture and environment where you feel like you're supported now unfortunately there is the reality is there is going to be some situation environments and we you know as two are examples where it hasn't worked however that shouldn't discourage and dissuade you to really to sort of explore what sort of uh, what the options you know would be and i guess you should get a gauge from your line manager and potentially even speak to hr in complete confidence and know that confidentiality would only be broken if there was a significant risk of harm to yourself and or others so you know be comfortable and especially if you're not with your line manager to disclose with sort of hr is probably your first port of call but yeah i think that a general you know it's typical of a question of you know he or she wanting reasonable adjustments or um someone who wants to share that they are struggling with their mental health and just just having that reluctance to do so because again the evidence i think it's like 90 plus percent think that it'll damage their potential job or career prospects or uh, prospects of pay rise and all these things and you can't invalidate that that is going on in someone's mind in terms of those sort of fears and it only exacerbates it but that's where you know you've got to look at the relationship you've got with your employer and say right who can I approach? And HR is probably the best port of call because most won't go to the line manager unless they know that the you know that they've been proactive in their sort of support of other individuals or said you know have have made it clear that they would support them no matter what. Fantastic, thank you. And and then I think an encouragement to say have the the, the confidence that it won't be shared particularly yeah. the institute for that exam one I, i'm 100 percent confident they will have to have confidentiality protocols in place and you won't be the first student that have gone to them with a, a similar issue and i think that's still a fear sometimes have that um that they're alone with this i would imagine most hr departments javid will, will have had experiences of other people 
and we haven't heard about it because it's kept confidential which would be the way that you would also hopefully presumably be treated so encouraging people to, to reach out I think would be the message and, and I think I mentioned at the top, I, I'm, I am the kind of person that will tell my worries to someone on the bus or whatever, but but not everyone's like that. And, and if and if there is, if you are understandably concerned about it, I guess the approach would be to get in touch with the Institute via their, their student helpline, maybe not disclose much of the detail, but just make some inquiries about additional time because of a, a, a medical issue, want to speak to somebody, and then it might actually be that, that you get somebody who's at that kind of seniority or whatever doesn't not necessarily seniority or amount of training that that can actually kind of deal with that and you'd be confident that it won't be shared thank you guys okay moving on then so something else that was also alluded to is the the balancing act that everybody in life is is balancing balancing work potentially with study with family commitments and everybody's in a completely different situation with those and I guess it's a dynamic situation that over time it changes for us all as well. So, Javid, maybe to you on this one, what, what's your kind of experience of those things culminating? Are there any things that people need to be aware of around the pressures externally? Yeah, I guess I'm going to go back to the mental first aid training that I did with them. And, and one part of that, if anyone has happened to have been on it, is... Uh, we go through something called the stress container. Um, the stress container, ultimately, for the ones who don't know, is almost taking that sort of step back and looking at everything that you've got on going on within your sort of life at that time, whether, you know, work and non-work related. And ultimately, wanting to do this reflective piece to sort of recognise, OK, if that container is full and there is sort of a, a lot going on, um, work pressures, work deadlines, exams, uh, and then anything that may be going on outside of work, which with COVID has definitely amplified things. You know, maybe a care of someone or, you know, there may have been bereavements in the family or loss or wherever it might be. I think once you take that sort of step back to sort of recognise that actually there's a lot going on, and Andy's mentioned it about compartmentalising, but writing it all down, you then sort of quickly sort of realise that actually you're doing a remarkably good job of trying to juggle all these plates that said right if there's some things that are something that needs to sort of drop or give then it's about then taking that next step of doing something about it so i take an example that i did sort of this time last year roughly where there was a few weeks where because my mental sort of fluctuates and it was particularly bad for a few weeks that i wasn't able to respond on emails and some linkedin messages as promptly as i could um but then once i felt like i was able to cope i just Setting, look, sorry, I've not been able to come back to you. This is the reason why I just was very open about it. Fully enough, me worrying about what other people thought. Everyone replied back saying, no problem at all. Totally understand, take your time. So actually you worrying about not sharing it, whether it's with friends, family or workplace, quite some of it can be unfounded. It's all in, it's all in your mind. And actually, if you do share, it's amazing the sort of reaction that you're generally going to get, which more often than not, it will be very supportive. I'm really keen to hear more about this stress container analogy. I, I think it's great. I, I think I'm understanding what you're saying, but I'm just looking. I've got the, the the visual on Zoom tonight so I can see you and I can see Andy and I can see myself, although I don't like looking at myself on the screen. And I guess from looking at the three of us, I have got no perspective of what is in your container tonight, Javid. I don't know what's going on in your background. You've shared some of your experiences, but I can't see that from from looking at you on the screen. And it's the same for everybody, isn't it? That element of we don't know what anyone else has got going on in the background. And I'm really taken by the thought that it can be quite a small thing that is the one thing that then overflows your stress container lots in there already and I might just put the one thing on your plate this evening that actually means you then bubble over and that that can be um, really hard to be on the other side of and I'm thinking what why is Javid struggling with that I've only asked him to complete uh, quite a simple task from my perspective but without the empathy of what of what's there is, is that something you're encouraged to do on your mental health first aid training to consider what other people might have going on in their container yeah, definitely. You know, there's a concept called emotional snapping. So using the container, if your container overflows, um, that's because A, there's a lot going on, but B, 
you haven't used there's also a, a if you think of analogy of a tap so if you have helpful coping mechanisms that you can use a tap to release the things within your stress container as well so by not having those and it flowing over it's about emotional snapping and interestingly i put an infograph on uh my social media pages um and it showed basically someone who had these big rocks on their boulders and it was you know one of them said covid one of them said childhood trauma one of them said work stresses life stresses and the infograph ended with just literally um, a small step that they didn't manage to sort of uh you know get over and then tripped and then were sort of wailing and you know to the other person they were like why are you overreacting so you know your message is actually whoever you know if you're supporting someone who's perhaps snapping in front of you or as a work colleague struggling or even yourself you feel like you're sort of snapping and you know where uh, you're not your best and taking that step back to understand whether it's yourself or others that right what else is probably going on for them to have reacted on something seemingly that might be quite minuscule so yeah and that's where that thing around the, the space of mental health that there's a lot going on in our respective lives that like you say just by looking on a zoom screen or even sat with them you wouldn't sort of know you we all become have a mask on and it's masters of disguise aren't we about what the reality is in our respective lives really interesting to hear you talk about not just thinking about other people's but also being quite aware of your own stress container and is is that something that that you've yeah. come to, to know about yourself at what point your stress container is building up to a point that you think i need to do something here if not it's gonna bubble um, over fundamentally there's only one person that can get you out of the fog or the whatever kind of situation you are in with your mental health and that's that's yourself really and we, we were chatting about this earlier myself and javid about um i use the analogy of um you know in the when you're on the the airplane and you've got the the um the emergency kind of chat and and one of the things that they tell you is if you've got a child and in, in the event of emergency put your own mask on before you help your child and it's that kind of like you know you're you're it's down to, it is your responsibility really when especially when you've got children and 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 friends and well it doesn't really matter who you are you you know you, you have got a responsibility to um try and um and get yourself out of it which can be really really difficult at times and and you know um it sometimes takes that step to go and see a doctor talk to other people get get the counseling that you need um but i, I like living why I, I i watch a lot of videos for russell brand um and he he talks a lot about about um kind of meditation and 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 this kind of thing and one, one thing that he he put on this week was um this idea of doing a bit of a self-evaluation uh and and he, he kind of he, he connects it to the fact that um these days we're, we're all so busy all the time that we we, we can't even when when you when you sat on your own you, you feel like you're just the pressure of even when you're not doing anything you feel the pressure that you should be doing something but he he, he talks about this exercise of just giving yourself writing down every potential job that you could have your actual job your whether you're a dad or you know a, a mother um a, a pet owner um all of the different responsibilities that you have and just giving yourself a score out of 10 uh for, for each one as to how you're doing and then looking at the ones that are a bit low and saying well actually are they really important um why aren't why are they so low and what can i actually do uh, about it and then starting to make some kind of steps um and like i said not everyone's that methodical but i think that's really really helped helped me in the past to try and kind of um make some sense out of my muddled mind thank you andy so you both talked about the role that jobs work mm. employers pay in our our well-being um, we had a question in the chat box, actually, which I'm going to come back to now. Javid, you're in a position that you deal with lots of different employers, um, lots of different candidates going for jobs with those employers. And so that the question in the chat box from a student tonight was, um, any advice you could give an employer who wants to support their employees with regards to mental health? Is there anything particularly that you've seen that you thought, wow, that employer has really found something that is fantastic? How long have you got? I think, um, you know, this is one that is a separate session altogether, but to try and be as succinct as possible. So I guess, first of all, if, if you are in this position where you're an employer and you recognise that you want to support your employees' mental health, I mean, that's a huge step in itself. I've speak to so many companies and employers where they're just nowhere near there yet, and ultimately their employees and 
the people working in finance I speak to, I just hear some horror stories. So I think the biggest step is the fact that you've recognised it. I think one of the things I've, you know, that I've been uh, advocating a lot, and I guess it depends on, if you look at any company of any size, there's always departments or divisions. Now that could be geographical or just by functional area, depending on the size of company. And something of, you know, around well-being is developing something called microcultures. So I think as an employer, if you try and change everything sort of company-wide, that's just almost taking on almost a little bit too much too soon. So almost create a microculture of a community of individuals or employees who are passionate about mental health or well-being. Get, you know, set up some steering groups or, you know, a, you know, a focus group internally ideally try and get as many people who are as further down the whether that's the finance food chain or or generally on the shop floor so to speak to be involved i think one of the mistakes that's made is employers at the sort of board level presume what everyone else wants and they just feel that it's a bit out of touch so i get a lot of so that you know they're out of touch or it's a tick box exercise it doesn't feel authentic but if you get the actual true employees involved, you know, and, you know, whether it's an AAT apprentice or a part qualified accountant, as well as then one or two others at a more senior level, depending on size, that you get your ear close to the ground in terms of what's, what people truly want. And then you can start to then shape things in terms of what to put in place. And not everything's got a cost associated with it. This is a big thing. I think there are a lot of gestures and things that can be done from a just being human and you know whereby that you, you know you don't have to spend thousands of thousands of pounds to create a well-being strategy so I think to understand what those are and you know there's so many sort of examples of it in terms of you know how do you create that sort of you know you know culture in a zoom world and a post-pandemic world um getting people sort of involved within sort of social events uh walking and talking sort of um type sort of sessions rather than just being in the office um and just adjusting and adapting knowing that each individuals are different um i think again far too often i see that they do a one-size-fits-all for well-being for everybody whereas actually um you know you might give me a subscription to headspace but i've already got one or i'm just not interested in mindfulness but you know or for andy's reason i just can't do it because i've got this ringing in my ear mm. so okay nice sentiment but have you really truly listened so that's probably my final point that really get your ear to the ground and listen to what your employees want and don't follow the crowd of what others may be doing or oh, that company down the road are, are doing this so let's let's us do it because it, it might not be what your what your employees want I think a very simple addition to that Javid as well is one of my bugbears has always been with with employers in the past is um taking the time to regularly meet with your the people that you line manage uh, but then also making that meeting not just being about what you're doing with work and what we're doing with it and actually just taking that time to focus on the big the bigger picture of how that person's doing um and i think ben you'll know I, i'm a big fan of my kind of like your my kind of short-term goals in terms of uh, what, what's going on with work but then if you have if you are on top of that then you can actually make those one-to-ones a bit more about the person and where they're going and, and what what some sense of purpose and what, what your expectations are of them uh, in, in the long in the long term thank just, you um, yeah sorry one final point on that just linked to what you just said andy i i picked up a role this week and i was speaking to the cfo it's working for an academy trust and we you know i've got it sort of written here in terms of you know because i always try and figure out okay yes your role may be great but why is it great what's in it for the person and i said how do you support well-being and i've written it here that basically when they do one-to-ones the very first question is all to, is around well-being that person's well-being so it's not even about their performance output or the job more about how are you how are you feeling how's your well-being you know um is everything okay in and out of work what can we do to help and support you so that's yeah. question one on someone's employee sort of um employee appraisal so you know maybe there's literally a very current sort of example of a you know okay let's focus on that first because you know that if you tend to a an employee's sort of well-being needs and they feel supported that their engagement their output their productivity and everything's going to go through the roof it's yeah that's not been a secret for decades that yeah. you know if someone's brought into a company they'll absolutely run through brick walls for you yeah. and you know well-being holds the key to that that's the big, um, message 
Javid, that, that's a fantastic tip and actually is very important to do at the, the start of that contact, the start of that meeting. Because if mm. they turn around and say, do you know what, I'm really struggling, what you're probably better off saying is, well, let's forget talking about yeah. what we're doing in the accounts this week or what the budget numbers are, because th there's no point to doing that, is there? And and you're right. I've seen it where, where those questions are quite often put as the token question right at the end, yeah. which means you've been through all of the other stuff. If that person is struggling today, the last thing they probably wanted to do was sit through the rest of that meeting. So yeah. that's something very simple and yeah. something that just kind of dawns on me now thinking that now is is a complete kind of obvious thing to do but it, it's not obvious until someone such as you kind of says that's what I've seen elsewhere so thank you yeah no problem but yeah I was very impressed when they said that um yeah exactly the reasons you've mentioned about it's uh, an afterthought how are you everything all right or just the how are you which obviously is probably the most empty question now in the history of questions it just doesn't mean anything it's almost like a default how are you so yeah and, and what, what do we always say? Oh, I'm okay. Right. And right. then right. we move on, don't we? And then tick, we tick that question off. So now we can go on and, and talk about other things. But um, most people who say they're okay genuinely aren't okay. That There's always something. And I think that's a, a concept that I've only recently come to really think about. This term mental health that we, we hear a lot about and it's used in lots of different contexts. But, but everybody has mental health. It's health, isn't it? It um, might be good for me today. It might not be good for me next week and it will fluctuate. It will peak and trough. So I think going back to the, the stress container that we talked about earlier, there are clearly some things in our life that just completely come out of the blue and they can fill your container up, I guess, really quickly, instantly bereavement or yeah. something bad happening at work or a family breakup, a, a relationship breakdown. Any advice in those areas, Javin? I know advice, we could probably be here until tomorrow morning, but any things that people need to be aware of if that one-off thing fills their stress container up really quickly? I think it, part in part to answer that is to understand what we talked about 20 minutes ago around trying to create a heightened level of self-awareness about, you know, what your capacity is and, you know, and everything else and, knowing that there's going to be some times where you could get sort of a, you know, some, some really bad news like that and you're able to cope and manage, but then other times that you're not. I think for anything sort of significant like that, I think it's just important to sort of try to sort of part the emotion to one side and be very practical around, for example, if it's redundancy or bereavement, et cetera, that, that it's almost, yes, the emotion just needs to be dealt with, but actually, right practical things what do I need to do you know if you've been made redundant or if it's a bereavement then there are okay notifying your employer if it's bereavement and all the other things associated with it and then the time that you're going to need in terms of supporting you know yourself and your family at work um so any major event like that I think just make sure that the practical things are taken care of both in and outside of work so therefore it then allows you to from an emotion point of view to sort of address that and you know give that the attention that it deserves i think what isn't a good idea is almost sort of suppression the emotions and everything else because ultimately that will manifest itself further down the line you just sort of delaying it so i wouldn't sort of you know you need to sort of and as stoic as you might feel or no, no i need to crack on and everything else know that whether it's sort of grief or any sort of bad news that there will be you will have a reaction it's just people react at different stages in different ways so understanding that if it's grief process or how you sort of process bad news and you know okay what are your coping mechanisms and if you begin to sort of uh, know what your good coping mechanisms are to go with them if you've got bad coping mechanisms you know i have problems with addiction and you know it sort of manifested itself in sort of drugs and alcohol and knowing that because of my addictive personality that was you know that got sort of really really bad at different points so i think just again recognizing that if that's happening either to someone you know um, in particular to make sure you approach it with them if it's happening to yourself hopefully to try and find it within you to sort of recognize it and stop it but i also appreciate that when you're sort of in it that it's probably going to take someone around you to then sort of uh, to raise it and try to sort of help you mm -hmm. which is why having a good support network around you in and outside of work friends family is really important 
I think it, 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 one of the things my doctor said to me very early on about the, the, the therapy was uh, use the word toolkit. Um, and I think anybody who's done some done some DIY, if you've got the right tools, sometimes, you know, something that you could be there with a hacksaw for ages, if you've got the right tool, it's sorted straight away. And not everyone, no one has has all those tools to, to kind of deal with things. So, um, you know, if you look at some bad news arrives, some people want to just throw themselves into stuff and keep busy, but then you need to make sure that you're checking in with yourself and being realistic to make sure that that's, that you're not just avoiding it. Some people may completely withdraw and that might be the, the worst thing for them. Um, so um, if you don't have the tools yourself, then that's the time to be honest with yourself and say, I need to speak to somebody, I need to get some help. And like I said, that, that's what I found was really helpful with the with the, uh, the, the, the CBT therapy. Um, and one of the other things as well that we, we, we talked about was, um, supporting somebody who, who's going going through this as well and how difficult that can be and and how difficult it can be to not just be well just do this because you you don't know like just not try and solve the issue but just be there for them and listen um and often that can be quite difficult as well um i've mentioned in the past like my 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 wife she's a proper grown-up i'm a bit of a like a man baby basically but my wife's proper grown-up and one of the many th- things that made, made me realize this is when i was going through my issues with depression um, she actually went and got a few sessions to talk to somebody else about how better sh- she could support me and everything. And I was like, that's, yeah, she's, um, yeah, she, she's better at this kind of thing than I am. I think it's, it's a really tough perspective that supporting someone else, that's a, mm. a whole nother dimension to yeah. mental health. And it, it is hard sometimes to, to say anything. Is, is there anything, Javid, in your experience that is the, the wrong thing to say? Or anything particularly that's the right thing or is it very much just saying something is better than nothing well funny enough again me and andy mentioned it before and you know i know this from the training that i've been guilty of it in the past where i've always been interested to want to help and support people who are struggling and historically there's you know there's two approaches that are now sort of that i wouldn't do anymore so the first one is uh you know sort of man up or you know what have you got to be upset about sad about yeah you know everything you've got um and whilst you mean well they're just not the sort of things that he or she would want to um you know uh you know to want to hear the other actually is you being sort of almost imparting your advice and opinion and say oh you should do this you should do that what about this what about that and it being too suffocating so actually more is less so if you're there supporting someone, one of the big things, and we, you know, I talk about on the mental first aid training, but actually, just when I was speaking to someone, is just let them talk. And if anyone's been through counselling, they'll know this as well. That you know, and if you're impatient like me, and I was like, oh, I want the answers, they just she just refused to give it. No, no, just wait, take the time to reflect. Almost giving your mind and everything time to then sort of share. And what you'll end up finding is if you're supporting someone, and if you provide that safe space that eventually they'll open up a lot more so i've supported individuals during covid in particular where they were feeling sort of um sort of suicidal and they've sort of approached me and they're sort of really difficult conversations and what i've noticed with those and other conversations the more quiet you are in the early parts and just letting them talk having those awkward like the silences are probably the most awkward and whether you're walking or sitting, it will, they're really uncomfortable, but just the odd occasional sort of prompts and sort of here and just as when you sort of ready, just give them the time. I think the more they feel safe, the more they will open up. So I think, yeah, just the less is more. And, you know, listening is, uh, you know, where uh, that sort of active listening and, yeah. you know, make sure you've given them sort of, uh, given them that attention you deserve keep your phone and everything out of the way just don't you know don't be sitting there going it's like me being on this and going just you know like but you know your body language all all these things um so yeah there's lots of other but they're probably the main ones i think um let them talk more i think there's uh you know two ears and one mouth and definitely use it in that ratio or even less Thank you, Javid. You, you've mentioned the term suicide there, someone coming to you feeling suicidal. You mentioned it for yourself. I think it's a term still people are uncomfortable talking about. Um, any advice around that, that the thought that maybe the more we talk about it, the more it might influence someone to actually go and think further about it? Is, mm. is there anything around that that we could just share with people? 
Yeah, I think there's there are a lot of myths and misconceptions around talking about suicide that, you know, for example, asking someone if they're feeling suicidal, if they had suicidal thoughts. On the one hand, the myths are that, oh no, we don't do that because I might encourage them or I might put an idea in their mind that actually is further, nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. Actually, the fact that they, if you're able to sort of ask that question, but ask it in a in a really sort of succinct and direct way, you know, don't sort of, uh, don't flit around it, just pretty much sort of say it, they, he or she will sort of uh, respond and then sort of realise, right, okay, this person's really sort of in tune and, you know, uh, has got the interest in my well-being. So I think asking the question directly if you are concerned and explaining why you are concerned is is really key. I think if it's a bit more further forward and it actually is a, you know, a, a situation, that's when obviously there's that risk of life and then you'd not just off, that isn't just about signposting, that is then getting emergency services involved if it is to that extreme. But I think you've just got to gauge and assess the situation that, if it is suicidal thoughts or are they planning it or have they acted upon it? Mm. So there's just a few, two or three really pertinent questions to ask just to sort of make sure, but definitely don't feel awkward. Well, it will feel awkward you asking it if you've never really been used to asking it before, but just be brave enough to, to ask the question and those questions. Yeah, have you got the means? Um, have you have you taken anything sort of now just so that you can determine to what level of sort of a, uh, you know, support does the individual need? And if it is more ideation and just more thoughts, then obviously then the signposting to GPs and a couple of the uh, charities of which I've got an infograph afterwards. But um, but if it's if you determine that someone is a bit more serious, then you can then take that action accordingly. I think I think the less of a taboo it, it can be because you mentioned that that idea of that idealization is like ideation. I, I think that's the natural process of the brain going round in circles and trying to kind of make sense of what what the situation you are in. I, I always quote it to. I don't know if it, this is just me, but if you've ever been on like a, a a high building or something and you had a, like a brand new phone in your hand and you think, what, what would happen if I just threw this? You know, and, and it's, I think the, the 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 it's the brain's natural reaction to kind of think of the most catastrophic thing. Um, and it's a very big difference between that and, like you say, actually taking the steps to plan something and then actually going to that next stage. So I think I think the the the, the more willing we are to have the conversations about this bit, then it, it it pushes people away from that that bit. Thank yeah. you both for talking about that. And I think a very important bit from Javid there: if someone is in immediate danger, call yeah. the emergency services. There's nothing wrong in doing that. Also signposting, there are lots of great charities. Javid's put a link in the chat box. I'll make sure this gets put up on the show notes for the podcast as well. Lots of help, support, 24-hour helplines that, that you can use if you are in that position. So thank you both very much. As always on the Student Forum and Podcast, we're now getting past seven o'clock. And, and I kind of promise people we'll wrap up around seven. I am sure we could keep going for another hour. And that's always a good sign. If you'd like to come back and join us again, Andy and or Javid, we'd love to have you back. So I'm sure this won't be the, the last time we are hearing from you both. But I do need to wrap up for this evening. So again, thank you both for coming. Javid, thank you for giving up your time this evening. It's been great hearing from you. I hope you have offered encouragement, words of, of wisdom, words of compassion to our listeners. So thank you very much. No, pleasure. And always in these conversations that, you know, even if it helps one one little thing, helps one individual, you know, who listens to this or who has been listening, that's the most important thing. So, yeah, no, it would be great to come back again because this topic is not going anywhere. And if anything, it's much more needed than it ever has been. So, um, yeah, hopefully, um, you know, beyond this, th there'll be value to this particular podcast and, and hopefully others as well. well. Thank you very much. Um, I'll make sure all the links that you've referred to and referenced to us are put in the show notes. So again, please look for those. Um, go and have a look at Javid's website. Have a look at some of the blogs there. Andy, thank you for coming and joining us. Always a pleasure. Yeah, anytime. I'm going to make you blush now for the people that are on the live call. Um, the listeners to the podcast will hear a really nice jingle <laughs> every episode of the podcast. And Andy alluded to having some ringing in his ears from, from listening to this quite loudly, but Andy's quite a phenomenal guitarist. 
and he actually composed the jingle and recorded <laughs> it for me and Dave when we first started doing the podcast. So, so thank you for the it's, jingle. It's maybe time I do a different one, maybe an electronic version this time, or yeah, some, a bit more upbeat. I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's fairly upbeat. <laughs> fairly upbeat. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. It seems to work at both ends <laughs> of the podcast episode. So, as I'm saying that, the, the guys in the marketing team will probably be fading in Andy's music over my exit <laughs> line for the podcast. Stop miming over it. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for downloading. Thank you for the live students that came on to the forum this evening to join us live in the chat box. You are, are greatly appreciated and your contribution is always, always welcome on the live forum. For the guys that have downloaded, please continue to download, continue to share. If you think this episode will be useful for any of your friends, family, anybody that you work with, please feel free to, to pass on the link. Everybody is welcome to listen to download the podcast. Um, and I will speak to you again next week for the next episode of the First Intuition Student Podcast. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Cheers, everyone. Bye-bye.